0: Welcome to the city on a hill church forest hills podcast we exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow jesus as king we're glad you're here and thanks for listening more information about the life and mission of city on a hill can be found at coah so glad that you could join us today i realized earlier i did not introduce myself my name is Stephen. i'm the lead pastor uh, here at city on a hill So glad that you could join us today. Our values as a church are the gospel, community, and mission. These are the values that are unchanging. They undergird who we are as a church, and they give life to who we are as a church. And the first is the gospel. We are here because of Jesus. We're here because Jesus came and he died to forgive our sins, that we could have new life in him, that we could have a relationship with God. And that's available to anyone who trusts Christ. And we would love to invite you into that if you've not receive Jesus. Secondly, community. We believe God created us for relationships. None of us were meant to get through life alone. And so in doing so, he uh, gave us the church. We, we love and care for each other as a family. And then lastly, mission. God sends us on his mission to tell others about him and to live lives that are impacted by what Jesus has done for us to see our world uh, be changed by the hope of the gospel, that the church would be that shining city on a hill. So glad that you could be here. A couple of announcements. Uh, This coming Wednesday, speaking of of community and relationships, uh, we're starting something called Wednesday Connect. Uh, That is when all of our community groups are going to get together on the same night in one big Zoom call, an opportunity to say hello to one another and talk for a couple of minutes before then we disperse into our community groups. And so if you're connected to a community group, Definitely come be a part of that. If you're not connected to a group yet and you're looking to get plugged in and build some friendships and learn more about Jesus, be sure to do so. Just drop us a note or go to our event page, coahforesthills.org slash events, and you can sign up for that there. Uh, coming up at the beginning of February, we're going to have a course uh, on the evidences for Christ. So maybe you're exploring Christianity. Maybe you are you just have some questions about Jesus and why we have confidence that Jesus is who he said he is and why the Bible is true. This course is for you. We'd love for you to be a part of that. It's going to be an eight-week course. Uh, and so you can just sign up again on that event page. Now, we're in the middle of a new year. We just started a brand new year, um, and so this is the perfect time to have a new series. As a church, we have gone through the Sermon on the Mount for the majority of our time as a church, starting back in September. And so now we are shifting gears towards uh, looking at our vision and, and taking an opportunity to see the vision God has given us as a church and then how we hope to see that vision unfold. So we're calling this the series from here to there. How do we get from where we are to fulfilling the vision that God has given us? A vision is really just an intended or an idealized outcome. It's what we hope to see happen through God's work in us. God has given us a vision and we are working towards that and really it's the fruition of God working in us and through us as we see the Great Commission uh, to that God sent us to make disciples of all nations, and the great commandment that we would love God and love others, as those things come to fruition, we believe that our vision will come to pass. Our vision as a church is every person from every culture experiencing the gospel. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you might notice a slight word change there. Uh, we uh, took the word neighbor, neighborhood and uh changes out for culture. We felt like that much that uh, actually fits who we are and what we're trying to be as a multicultural church a lot better. We had a group of leaders get together recently and begin to kind of fine-tune our vision and our mission, not to change who we are, but to just better communicate who we are. And so we can talk about vision statements all day long, and it could just be words on a piece of paper, unless we have a plan to figure out how we're gonna get from here to there. How do we get from where we're at now to the vision that God has called us to. That's the tension of a good vision. Is it something that feels like it's out of uh, out of our reach? It feels like something that we cannot reach on our own, that we need God to help us reach, but also that we take some tangible and some real steps to get there. So how do we get from here to there? Well, we need some good measures, some good indicators to help us figure out if we're going in the right direction. So again, it's the beginning of the year. Many of you may have made new year's resolutions. Maybe you learned your lesson last year and you're like 2020 was terrible. And so I'm not going to even make any this year, but often we make new year's resolutions. And one of the most common new year's resolutions is to get in better shape. I want to get healthy, but if you're going to truly get healthy, you got to kind of have some measures of what it looks like to get healthy. So you might say, well, for me to get healthy, maybe it means to lose weight. Maybe it means I'm going to have lower cholesterol or I'm going to lower my blood pressure. These are all measures that help you figure out if you're going in the right direction. You've also got to have some milestones along the way. You've got to have some, some, some smaller goals within the bigger goal to help you figure out if you're going the right way. So if you want to lose weight, say let's say you want to lose 20 pounds. Well, then you celebrate when you lose 5, and then when you lose 10, and then when you lose 15, and then when you finally hit the ultimate goal. And so for us, over the next four weeks, we're going to look at four measures that help us gauge whether we're moving towards this vision of every person from every culture experiencing the gospel, some measures to help us get there, but also some milestones along the way that help us know whether we're getting where we want to be. And so those measures are are four things, maturity, multiplication, multicultural, and mercy and justice. I'm going to say those again. Maturity, multiplication, multicultural, and mercy and justice. These are the things that we are growing toward, but we're also growing in. We want to celebrate how God is working in us along the way. We don't want to overlook the progress that we're making for the sake of the long-term goal. And the first one we're looking at today is the idea of maturity. Tony Evans says about becoming a mature believer that Becoming a mature believer takes time. You don't become mature overnight. A baby doesn't hop, skip, and jump into adulthood. The Bible tells us that becoming mature is a process. See, we celebrate as we go. So what will it look like for us to be living out this vision in one year? What's it going to look like for us to be mature in three years or five years? And so during this series, I want you to ask yourself two questions each week as we go through this. And these questions are this. What do I need to do personally in this area to grow? And then secondly, how can I help our church grow as a community in this? So let's look at the idea of maturity. What does it mean to be a mature follower of Jesus? What does that look like? A a few indicators on what it looks like to be mature. The first is our identity a gospel identity knowing who you are in Christ you have to know who you are in Christ in order to grow towards Christian maturity so, so but why does identity matter so much because doing flows from being what you do flows ultimately from who you think you are doing comes from being Doing is evidence of who you are. It's evidence of the heart. Jesus talked about how how, um, what's in our heart overflows into the lives that we live. And we do this as people made in the image of God because this is what God does. God does what he is. God doesn't just do just things. God is just and therefore does just things the one of the be- biggest the best descriptions of God in the Bible is that God is love. God is not just loving, he is love and his loving actions and his loving kindness flow from his very being. They flow from who he is. And we do this too. We are driven by our desires, by our longings. We do ultimately what we want. All this flows from who we are. And so you have to have your primary identity in check because your primary identity is going to drive how you live. And when the chips are down, that's what you're going to turn to. Who you think you are at the most base and fundamental level will determine what you do. And so if you think at your very core that you're ultimately a worker, that you what you do as, as a profession is who you are, then every decision you will make will be sacrificed to you being successful at your job. You'll work long hours at the expense of relationships. You'll sacrifice for the sake of doing a good job. Even something good like being a parent, if you make it ultimate, you'll bend your entire life around being a good parent and making your kids happy. If it's sex or sexuality, and this is who you ultimately believe you are, your desires will rule you. Who you are at its deepest level directs everything else. And so as a follower of Jesus, fundamentally and first, you are given a new identity as a disciple. And this is vital to growing and changing and maturing as a follower of Jesus, that your identity changes. It fundamentally changes who you are. And this is why Jeff Vanderstelt says that Jesus is, didn't call us to merely make a decision for him. He doesn't need our vote of approval. He doesn't want deciders. He wants disciples, people who are devoted to becoming more and more like him in everything, every day. Our passage today in First Thessalonians 1 is chocked full of identity language. In verse 4, we see it right out the gate. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. We could do an entire sermon series on that one verse. This idea of our identity. And our our identity as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, takes on three components. And the first one we see here in verse 4 is that you're part of a family. Paul addresses the Thessalonians as brothers. The word there, the connotation of that word. I love the way that the, the Christian Standard Bible translates this as brothers and sisters. The, the word is literally brothers, but the connotation is brothers and sisters, is it, fundamental in its core to the gospel. You have been brought into a new family. You are called a child of God. You have a good father if you have trusted Jesus to take your sin, to pay for it, and to remove the barrier between you and God. And in doing so, you get a new relationship with God, that he is your father, that you're his child, and now you have all these brothers and sisters in Christ We see this freedom in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir God Again, that son language is not leaving out you ladies. In fact, that, that son language is about inheritance. It means that if you were a brother or sister in Christ, if you've been brought into God's family, you get the inheritance that in the ancient world only the firstborn son would have been given. And Jesus, as our brother, gives us everything that he rightly deserves, including his relationship with the Father. We get that through faith but why do we get that do you get that because you just you're just killing it you're just crushing it you've got your to do list and you've done you know 10 out of 10 is it because you know you're meeting all your goals and you're impressive no in fact here in verse 4 it says because you're loved by god and he's chosen you you're loved by god and he's chosen you in other words you didn't choose him first our hearts are bent towards sin They're bent towards it, and the Bible says that our hearts are dead, and we're dead in our transgressions. We're dead in our sins. And so you might hear something like chosen, or you might hear the word elect or election, and think that it's this exclusion, and it's about pride, and only like the elite get in. In fact, it's the actual opposite of that. It's that you and I don't deserve to be a part of God's family, yet in His grace, He loves us, and he chooses us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what he has done on our behalf. It's not meant to puff you up. It's meant to humble you. It's meant to give assurance that your actions cannot separate you from the love of God. He did so out of love. I love the way John Stott puts this. He says that he chose us because he loves us, and he loves us because he loves us. Not because of anything that we bring to the table. And this is a mystery. But what it means is that you're wanted in the family of God. That he did everything necessary to make that happen, to make you be a part of his family, to call you to himself. This is the inward call and work of the Holy Spirit to convict you over your sin, to call you to faith, and to convince you of the goodness and the beauty of the gospel. But why was Paul confident of this? Why was Paul so confident? Well, their lives were evidence. Their lives gave evidence that their election was real, that their their being chosen was real, that they really were Christians. In verse 5, it says, "...the gospel came... Not just in word only, but also in power. It, it had changed them, and the gospel changes each one of us. It, it fundamentally changes us but when we understand what God has done. That the work in you always leads to work through you. Backing up a little into verse three, we see that uh, we see uh, works of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope in Christ, the evidence that their heart had been changed, that they understood who they were in Jesus. See, living out our identity as children means that we see Jesus is so faithful, therefore we have works of faith. We see his steadfast hope and love, so therefore we live with hope. We see his love towards us, so we love others. What would change if you saw yourself and others as part of your family. You probably start living like you have nothing to prove because you're already delighted in. You probably obey because you're, you're loved not in order to be loved. You probably stop hiding and start repenting. You would consider other people before you consider yourself. See, this identity of family actually bleeds into and leads to to the other aspects of our identity. Secondly, we see that part of maturing is is embodying and living out a gospel culture, that we live for each other as servants. There's a corporate reality to all of this. Our salvation is not just personal, it's corporate. We're brought into a family. A family means that you have other people as a part of it. You can't have a family of one. you, You need other people. And the good news and this, is the beauty of the church is that you don't have to be alone. We hope our church is a safe and a warm place for sing- people who are single. Because we want single people to feel like they're a part of a family. We're living for each other. And so when you realize that you're a part of a family, you realize that you're called to serve each other. The second aspect of our identity is that we're servants. We serve each other and part of this is a culture a culture that embodies the gospel. So what does this culture look like? Well, the first thing we see from this passage is growth. We, that we personally grow, but we also serve one another in order that we all grow. We help each other know, love, and follow Jesus in every area of life. I want you to experience the gospel at the deepest level. I want you to know the love of Christ. I want you to know what it feels like to be part of a good family, and we see that in, the, uh, in, in here in First Thessalonians, back in verse three, they were working, they were laboring, they were being steadfast in their in their work to love and care for each other. This is this is a cooperative effort. I mean, kind of one of the big things that's, that's come out of the last couple of years as far as board games is, is cooperative games. I'm a very competitive person. So the idea of engaging in a cooperative game was a little weird for me at first because I'm like, well, who wins? And the idea is that we win. And so one of those games was Pandemic, which was prophetic, and 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 we should have all been prepared because we played that game. But the the idea of this game was that there there was a pandemic to come, and you all had different things you had to do in order to stave off the pandemic. So we all failed at that. But but, but the game was if, if, if if I win, we win. And if we win. I personally went. Paul wanted the Thessalonians to grow and take responsibility for each other's growth. In verse, th- in verse 6 he says, He said that you, know, you were imitators of me, of him, of us, and of the Lord. That they were imitating and they were seeing his faith. And they're seeing the faith of the Lord Jesus and they wanted to be like that. But you notice there's a culture of it becoming contagious because in verse 7 he says, So that you became an example to all the believers. So there's this contagious culture of growth that they were helping each other grow into fuller maturity of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And Paul wasn't just content with saying, you know what, I'm going to grow. I'm going to do my Bible study. I'm going to have my quiet time. I'm going to do things that fit my agenda and my schedule because this is what I need. No, they, they sacrifice for each other's sake. When you think about how you serve others, do you think about how you serve them in a way that they grow in their love for Jesus? See, often we think, what do I get? Who's who's pouring into me? What fits my schedule? Not, who do I get to serve? Look, we we need both. You need someone to disciple you, and you need someone who you're going to disciple. And, And in fact, you're always discipling someone, even if you don't realize it. You're always teaching and showing someone to follow and do something. Listen, as a church, if we're going to grow into maturity, I need some of you to step up and grow into leadership. Maybe you're not ready to take on the full mantle of leadership today, but what's the one or, one or two steps you could take? Maybe it's committing to read your Bible or pray or just make a phone call to somebody once a week to care for them and love them. Take take ownership over this. Be committed to growing through our leadership pipeline and and growing and finding ways to serve. Serve as a CG leader or a DNA Bible study leader. Like uh, Be a team lead on a serve team. There's so many different ways that you can get plugged in. You can help others grow. So growth, but we also see joy. At the end of verse 6, it says that they received the gospel with much affliction, but also with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Here's truly a culture that embodies the gospel. I want you to have joy. You want others to have joy because your sin is forgiven, because your shame's been removed, because you have nothing to fear. It says, I want you to flourish, and I want you to to, to truly flourish and have joy. When, When you come into a room, or you enter into a situation with others in our church, do you bring joy with you? And what this looks like is the posture that you bring towards things and towards situations. Do you often come in and you're just sour with a look on your face? You're like, I'm just checked out. Or, or, or you're just not engaged. You, you look like you, you just want to be anywhere but there. You're skeptical. Or do you bring joy? What if you decided, I, I'm going to enjoy whatever we do. I'm just going to be all in. I'm not going to... You know, I'm not going to be skeptical. I'm just going to be all in. Look, you can make anything fun or you can make it lame. It really comes down to your attitude. If you're playing board games with people, you can make it lame by just not caring and not being invested in the game. Or you can be super intense and super engaged and it'd be the best thing you've ever done. Even something exciting like a football game. If if you're just Debbie Downer while watching it, it's just not as fun. What if we said, I'm going to enter into every community group, every worship service, every service event we do, every conversation with someone in our church with joy. Now, I'm not saying fake it. We can be honest about what's going on in our hearts, but what if we pursued joy? And we said, I want the joy of the Lord to be a tangible reality in my life so that other people experience the contagious nature of that joy. It changed you and it would change them. Ask God's work in you if you struggle with joy. Also, love. Jesus said they'll know you by your love for one another. Verse 7, we see this example that they're living out before others, and that example's love. It doesn't explicitly say it, but we know that as they served others with joy, what are they really doing? They're loving them. Paul said in Galatians 5 that the entire law is summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. A culture that embodies the gospel is a loving culture. A culture that allows you to love your enemies, allows you to love people you don't naturally get along with. But that's family, right? You didn't choose your family. You didn't get to choose that crazy uncle who came over for Thanksgiving. You, you didn't get to choose that person, but that person's part of your family. The gospel allows us to embody a culture of love, a culture of family serves each other in love. It says, you're my people. And this is why over the next couple of months, we're going to start pressing into membership. We're going to start having some, some membership classes and talking about what it means to be covenant members. That's a part of growing in maturity is this committed culture of love with one another. And this allows for Vulnerability. It allows the safety and time for God to shape us and grow us this further through this culture of deep friendship that looks like family. This frees us to be changed by the Holy Spirit to long after Jesus and his mission. So maturity looks like a family of servants, but that, that group of, that family of servants also lives on mission. The last thing we see about maturity is that there's a, an activity to it, a gospel activity that we're joining God in his work as missionaries. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time looking at this today. We're going to unpack it over the next couple of weeks. But it's important that a part of our identity as disciples is that we're missionaries. We are sent into the world with the good news of Jesus. And when we think of missionaries, we typically think of those people who go far away to tell people about Jesus, who are like professionals. And is that important? Absolutely. It's absolutely important. That's why we as a church, we support church planners. We want to support church planners here across Boston. That's a part of maturity, part of multiplication. We'll talk about that more next week. We support global missions. We want to have global mission partners. We're exploring what that looks like right now. And we hope to send some of you. We hope some of you will count the cost of missions missions count the cost of church planning and you will go. But doing missions starts from a heart of missions and understanding that you have a fundamental identity as a missionary. And that begins in everyday life. For everyone and for every area of our lives to be made much of, for, for Jesus to be made much of, requires that we live in the posture of missionaries. People sent to tell others about Jesus. How does our city experience the gospel? It's through ordinary people doing ordinary things with the intention of making Jesus known. That's all it is. And we see this in the life of the Thessalonians, that in verse 8, their reputation went ahead of them. And it's evident that the gospel had changed them. And this is why this identity is so important. Because for them, it was personal. Personal. They had a message to tell because this gospel had radically changed their lives. Because for them, it was as simple as this. Let me tell you about my dad. Let me tell you how awesome he is. Let me tell you how he's loved me and he's modeled for me and shown me what it looks like to love you. That's all it means to be a missionary. We see here that they declare the gospel. In verse 8 it says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth, so the word of God was sounded forth, they declared the gospel, declared the good news, but also they demonstrated it. It says here that, that um, it sounded forth, but also your faith in God has gone forth. Their example, their lives, were, were, it had embodied this culture of love and service so much so that people began to see it. And from Macedonia to Achaia, from north to south, was several hundred miles. They had begun to build a reputation as people who lived sent to their region. This, this, These were things that were being passed along on trade routes. I was like, have you heard about what's going on with that group of people down in Thessalonica? Have you, have you heard about the change that's happened in their lives? We're building a reputation right here in Boston, right here near Forest Hills. Our relationship with English High School is building a reputation. Their posture toward us has changed because of the way we, they're seeing us love them. In fact, over the next uh, couple of months, we're entering into a process called the Neighborhood 360 Process, where we're going to get a better understanding of our neighborhood. And in order to help us love and care for our neighbors as missionaries, we'd love for you to be a part of that. If you want to fill out a connect card and just put 360 on it, we would love to talk with you about how to be a part of that process of helping us discover how to better love our neighborhood. The people heard, the people saw it, build a reputation, but I want to be super careful. You could easily hear this and say here think I'm telling you just to run yourself ragged for the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to be like a football coach who's like trying to pump you up with a halftime speech and like slap you on the backside, and okay, say, okay, go be somebody. Like that's not what I'm doing. There's actually a beautiful invitation in this passage to be empowered with everything that you need to do God's work from a posture of rest. In verse five, it said, the word came in power and in the Holy Spirit. You get to work with everything that you need from God to do his work, to be on mission with him, and that he promises renewal and joy in your soul. See, God's mission requires God's renewal in your heart to refresh you, to give you rest, to delight in God himself. And unless we rest In this, and are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will falter in our own strength. We will run ourselves ragged. See, gospel activity is a continual cycle of abiding in Christ and being sent by Christ. Abiding in Christ and being sent by Christ. And as we rest in Him, He refills our tank to go on mission with Him. To give everything we have for the glory of God, for the good of our neighbors. And this requires that we return to Him again and again. And the good news, because we're joining God in His work, is the pressure's off. We get to have fun with this. See, this is maturity. It's, it's your identity. It's knowing who you are. It's living as a servant. It's joining God in His mission, gospel identity, gospel culture, gospel activity. What would this look like over time? Does it mean that we grow theologically, have a better understanding of who God is, with our heads. A deeper understanding in our hearts of, of our identity as his children. It looks like membership. We're going to be pushing towards that over the next uh, couple of months. And then over time, we're going to see it become robust. We're it's beautiful covenant membership when we're caring for each other. It's, it's leadership. It's growing into the place that God has called you to, to serve. Whether it's as a CG leader, uh, down the road with deacons and elders, and seeing God multiply what he is doing in and through us. Really quickly, I want to talk about how we get there, the things that you can do, the habits that you can press into in order to see God make these things flourish in your life. Four simple things. Gather, grow, give, and go. Gather together. Just be present. On Sundays, whether it's on Facebook or Zoom, or when the world gets back to normal, we can be together every week. Gather together for worship. Do not miss out on that. Hebrews 10 tells us that we are not to neglect gathering together in your community group. Find a group of people to love, care for, to call your people informally. Just be friends, like gathering together, growing personally. If you've not and, and checked out our discipleship plan, we'd love to send that to you. Again, growing theologically, growing as a leader. Giving, giving of our time, our treasure, and our talents. Investing in people, giving a part of what God has given us in order to financially push the mission forward to serve and then to go to live on mission to our neighbor and to the nations. Again, think about those two questions. What do I need to do personally in this area? What do you need to do personally to to grow maturity? And, And what can you do to help our church push as a community towards that maturity? Maybe it's a, maybe for you it's a relationship with Jesus. Maybe for you it's that first step. You need to, Trust Jesus to save you. You need to enter into a relationship with him. It's as simple as this, that Jesus gave his life for you. He paid for your sins. And through trusting Christ alone, you can be a part of this family. You can receive a new identity. And if that's you, we would love to talk with you about that. Drop us a message in the chat. Be sure to send us a connect card and check that you want to talk about a new relationship with Jesus.